Hear now the word of our Lord, beginning with Matthew 23, verse 29. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you build the tombs of the prophets and decorate the monuments of the righteous, saying, If we had lived in the days of our fathers, we would not have taken part with them in shedding the blood of the prophets. And thus you witness against yourselves that you are the sons of those who murdered the prophets. Fill up then the measure of your fathers, you serpents, you brood of vipers. How are you to escape being sentenced to hell? Therefore I send you prophets and wise men and scribes, some of whom you will kill and crucify, some you will flog in your synagogues and persecute from town to town, so that on you may come all the righteous blood shed on earth from the blood of innocent Abel to the blood of Zechariah the son of Berechiah, whom you murdered between the sanctuary and the altar. Truly I say to you, all these things will come upon this generation. All flesh is as grass, its beauty is as the flower of the field. The grass withers, its flower fades. The word of our God endures forever because it is perfect and everything that is perfect endures. But this is, was the perfect word you just read and now the sermon by God's help. Please be seated. I don't know if you've ever noticed that some things are very counterintuitive. You have an idea of how things might be improved by a problem, uh, and yet the approach, the correct, the correct solution to the problem is exactly opposite of what you had in mind. I'll give you an example. Uh, I once had a, uh, an injury to uh, the shoulder uh, in the gym, and uh, it involved some muscles here and all that. It hurt to even turn my steering wheel, and driving a car was very painful. Uh, so you heard the old doctor when you go to the doctor, you know, the old joke, and you go to the doctor and say, "Doctor, I, it hurts when I do this." So the doctor says, "Well, don't do that, right?" Well, that's that would be an intuitive, sensible argument, but the counterintuitive argument is, "Yeah, do that until your shoulder frees up." Why? Well, it's going to hurt. I, the exercise was to me to stand in a doorway and push against it, at first mildly, you know, warm up my muscles, but more and more stretches, and it hurt. I said, doctor, I, 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 came, I came for pain relief, and what you're offering me here is more pain. Oh, yes, but you have to, you have to go through this before we get to, to some help. Counterintuitive. This whole text here is very counterintuitive. Why would God send more messengers to a people that basically eat up God's messengers as one would eat bread? Why, why would God do that? I, I, again, uh, another axiom, uh, the definition of his stupidity is to keep trying to do the same thing that has failed before in the same manner. W what's going on here? You and I would look at this text and say, enough, enough. I mean, they've, they've, st they've stoned the prophets, they've killed the messengers of God, and now in the parable of the tenants, they're, they're ready to kill the Son of God, to throw, throw out the air, and to exclude him from the vineyard. And you say, 
what will God do? Well, God will eventually judge the wicked. But one of the most amazing things about God, and we're going to introduce this concept now, but in his sixth and, or rather, yeah, sixth and final discourse in Matthew, we're going to see that the Lord is going to deal with all of the end times, how God is going to deal not only with the Jews, but all the sin of all the mankind, beginning with uh, the sins of our first parents, all the way to the very end. But he wants us to understand that he is a, a God who is forbearing, a God who is patient, a God who is not on our timetable at all, and a God whose wisdom is ineffable and, and his ways are inscrutable. And so we must honor him because he has his ways and they are not our ways. And we would have our druthers, we would have the psalm that we just sang to be answered immediately so that all those who are enemies of church might be eradicated, just wiped away. Make a way for your church. Make a way for righteousness to bloom, O oh Lord. And yet he will not do that until he's ready to do that. I want to bring out this teaching because what God does is instead of giving them less messengers, he's going to give them more messengers. And that's why the title is More Godly Preachers. And I think my editor uh, omitted the, the question mark. I don't know who did it. But I, I had a question mark on my, on my outline. More godly preachers? It doesn't make much sense. But that's because we are finite. That's because we know only so much. And I think over time the Lord will show us why he's doing what he's doing. The context here is that we have had, since Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem, we've had, we've had a pile of trouble. We've had Jesus overturning tables, and he's decrying the hypocrisy, uh, the hypocrisy of the leaders. Uh, he has made himself odious to uh, the leaders, not only by correcting their ways publicly and disputing them and, uh, and even answering them uh, justly and fairly uh, to, to their shame, even the most fundamental, the most fundamental teachings of the scriptures, the Pharisees and the Sadducees have faulted. And they're really, at this point, very dangerously angry uh, with the Lord Jesus. And this, of course, would be, as you know your Bible history, this would be Jesus' last life on earth. But the Jews have been disputing with uh, the, the Jews have been disputing with Jesus to trap him. And already we see two things, really three things, that really spell the, the doom of the Jewish nation at this time. Uh, first of all, the complete uh, abandonment of an understanding, the, the, the right understanding of the law. They had added so many traditions. They had, they had excused themselves from the rigor of the law because they knew if, if they were to believe the rigor of the law, then uh, they would be proved unrighteous. The, the law leaves everyone in sin. The law leaves every mouth stopped uh, uh, unless, of course, you're the perfect righteous son of God, which is Jesus. But, but having not understood the law and having buried it behind them, they also did not see themselves as sinners, and they also left behind the gospel, which is to say 
they had not understood the new priesthood that would, uh, was prophesied in the new, in the new uh, covenant, uh, the, the, the high priest by the order of Melchizedek in Psalm 110. They did not understand necessarily that the Lord, uh, the Christ was, the, was both the son of David and his Lord. They had no answer for that, so they could not anticipate that Messiah was divine and, uh, and therefore the Son of God. They had completely faulted on law, they had completely faulted on gospel, and they had completely faulted in Jesus, who is the embodiment of, of both law and gospel. And what have you got? What, what can you say when the majority consensus of a, a, a whole denomination, a whole nation of God's people faults on such foundational principles as law, gospel, and Jesus. Well, you have to throw the whole thing out. Rather than the prophets, the Messiah, uh, rather than the, the messengers, uh, prophets, and righteous men, and, and, and the heir, Jesus being thrown out of the vineyard, the Lord is going to shut the vineyard down. And this is what we're getting to now in the, in the tail end of Matthew, beginning uh, with the 24th chapter, we're going to get into how the Lord expresses uh, that displeasure. And, and so we've already seen the woes. Woes, uh, eight, eight woes decried against the hypocrites who had a form of righteousness. External, uh, externally they looked so great that any one of us would think, well, no, there goes a very righteous man, an example to all the neighborhood. And yet God knowing their hearts, they were void of the love of God. They were void of the fear of God. And they were inflated with, with love of self. And now Jesus here in this, in this place, in Matthew 23, 34 through 36, prophesies the outcome. He's announced woes, imminent judgments, imminent misery, imminent destruction. And now the Lord uh, is, is telling, uh, telling the crowd there, assembled before the temple, what he is going to do. Again, counterintuitive, but here's the teaching. Christ, here's what the Lord's going to do with regard to all of this mess. Christ will fill up the measure of God's wrath against his persecutors. That's what he's going to do. Christ will fill up the measure of God's wrath against his persecutors. God will do this by sending them even more godly messengers, whom his enemies will further mistreat. And God will do this in order to increase their guilt and prepare them for wrath and fury. You can imagine a, a cup, a, a, little, a, a little cup being spun by the potter, and he's, he's shaping it, he's shaping it. He knows it's not, being, it's not, it's not really coming away. He, he wants it to. It's got some blemishes. It's got some defects. He keeps working it. He's going to work it a little bit further. But it's never going to be any good. And in the end, he's going to dash it. And this is where we are with Jesus in regard to that particular generation. First point of the sermon, Christ will continue to send his, his messengers, his messengers to the unrepentant Jews. Now this is similar, of course, to the teaching of the parable of the unjust tenants of the vineyards. But Jesus here is not playing the part or the role in that parable of the heir who comes to the vineyard. <laughs> here in this teaching, he's announcing himself as the Lord who sends the messengers. Now again, that's the same mystery we see in Psalm 110, isn't it? 
the Lord says to my Lord. Uh, it's a place marker that we see here because the Lord says, therefore I say to you, uh, I, will send, uh, I will send you prophets and wise men whom you will crucify. The, we need to take a, a good look at this. The, uh, I don't know where I get this, but I have a behold in one version. I'm working from another Greek manuscript, I guess. It's a wondrous work to behold. You must pay attention because it is counter and counterintuitive. If your version has the word behold in it, uh, you're working from the same manuscript in the Greek that I was working in. Uh, this is a place marker. Behold, look, stop. Uh, yes, this is what's happening. I, I know you're not going to think this is what should be done. What about the lives of those messengers? Isn't this more increasing injustice? Isn't this, I thought you were here to eradicate sin and you are placing people uh, in a position that, that will, as it were, promote sin and wrath. Although the Lord is not an author, the author of, of sin. But the, the word in the Greek is emphatic I. The Lord wants you to know that it is He. And He's speaking to the crowds. <laughs> he's speaking to His persecutors. And He says to them, I, even I am sending you prophets and wise men and scribes. Now this is another thing that they must have been, it must have really, really got them uh, stirred up and, and concerned. Uh, it appears that the Lord Jesus to them is, is, is a complete madman. But Jesus Christ will send more messengers in response to the Jewish hypocrisy that we uh, decried last week uh, and, and to their irreligion. He will send them what? Well, he has titles that, uh, that he's speaking to the crowd here and titles that the Jews would, would, uh, would chime in with. They were familiar titles. He doesn't say, I'm going to send you apostles and evangelists and, 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 and pastor teachers. No, he says prophets, wise men, and scribes. He's going to continue to deal with the Jew as the Jew. But of course, he doesn't need to change the agenda because having Moses and the prophets on his side, Jesus is still preaching the very same message that Moses and the prophets have always preached. In other words, the newness of the New Testament here uh, is in the person and the finished work and then the, the breadth of the grace and all that, but substantially it's still the very same covenant of grace, the very same law, morally, the very same Messiah, the blood of the Lamb that, uh, that, that, uh, that saves. The woes here then that Jesus preached here previously in this chapter are announcing a continued period of hardening. That's the woe. The, there will be woe upon woe and the great, great calamity of the destruction of Jerusalem. We'll preach about uh, that next. However, the more imminent woe is the woe of continued heart hardening for rejecting law, for rejecting gospel, for rejecting Christ. My friends, this is judicial hardening. The root of it is unbelief. And judicial hardening is worse than material calamity. We often say our lives are blessed because, well, we've got health and we've got good jobs. Our, our children, now that they've been to the dentist, have the possibility of good teeth. You know, that we've got some bad teeth, we correct them here in our congregation. But my friends, all these things are attributed to the goodness of God. But if you are receiving 
great good of God. Houses and, and estates, health and peace and prosperity, good looks. You can still, still walk around. You still have the use of your, of your legs. And all these things are gifts of God. But if you are not increasing in thankfulness to God and acknowledgement of his goodness to you despite your sin, despite your waywardness, despite your rebellion. My friends, this is leading you to greater and greater hardening. And especially if you do not see yourself as loving his truth more and more and gaining in discernment, but you are now fighting, fighting the messengers of God. You don't like what he does with God's law. You don't like what, God, what he does with God's gospel. And you don't like the way he does or doesn't preach Christ or whatever. This, is, this judicial hardening is far worse than material calamity. Romans 1 says in verse 21 and following, Although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking. Their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal men, birds, animals, and creeping things. And so therefore God gave them up to the lusts of their hearts, to an impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever and ever. And this, for this is the reason God gave them up. He gives them up. That's great, great outward sin. But before the great, great outward sin of sexual immorality, of material gross idolatry is manifested, the battle of the heart for God, the battle of belief was already lost. And God began to harden the heart of Pharaoh. That is to say, he began to make Pharaoh more like the Pharaoh that he loved to be. That's the hardening. When God hardens you, you become more of the person you want to be, not more of the person that God wants you to be. That's hardening. That's hardening of heart. And that will result ultimately in an outward expression of great, great sin. Now worse than this is that he might send you no messengers at all, and God can do that as well. And that, that is a, a judicial hardening as well. See, the Lord might harden you by sending you messengers that are faithful to God's word, and you will be resisting it. Or he might say, no, I'm going to spare that judicial hardening in that way. I'm just going to leave them to bake in their own ignorance and their own sinfulness and declare a famine of the word of God. He could send you no messengers at all. Romans 11 and verse 25, lest you be wise in your own sight. I don't want you to be unaware of this mystery. A partial hardening has come upon Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles come in. Uh, Paul is saying here, God, is, God is still has some concern in his eternal decree with Israel as a nation, as a, as a people, I should say, as the, as the sons of Abraham and his seed. Uh, and so, my friends, uh, a partial hardening, well, that's where he, he, Israel is not, is not organized as part of the Christian faith. They have the famine of the type of dealing with the Word of God that you and I love in your church when it's preached, when it's read properly, when it's read completely. This is, this is the feast of the Word of God for which we ought to give thanks. The famine of the Word of God is when it's 
it's omitted altogether or it's twisted and uh, taught differently. And so my friends, we need to keep short accounts with God. We need to be sure that we're listening to his word, especially the priest word. I'm not here augmenting my own, uh, my, my own uh, profession. I'm just letting you know that we believe that preaching is the primary means of grace. Uh, and so we need to be especially attentive to the word preached by the hands of an ordained servant of God. Keep short accounts, confess, repent, renew obedience daily, else you might experience a famine. Christ will then continue to send messengers to any unrepented people. And this is by his own, his own doing, but especially in our, in our pa- passage, that was the decision he, he had for those Jews of that time. The second point of the sermon, the unrepentant Jews, these unrepentant Jews will continue to persecute Christ's messengers. Man, I'll tell you what, it's very hard when you kick against the pricks, you know? You're going to get some very bad thorns. It's going to hurt. You're going to get infections. Conscience. Conscience alone should be sufficient to stop you doing this. But they are, they have lost all sensitivity to conscience. Their consciences were defiled. Calloused consciences. You know, when you, when you develop calluses in your hand, you know, you're weightlifting, you pick up heavy objects. When you pinch that area in a strong grip, it doesn't hurt anymore. There's a deadness to where your callus is, which enables you to grab things, hot things, even in the kitchen. You know, you heard of mom hands. Do you pick up that frying pan? Yeah. Your bare hands, you've got mom fingers. I don't have mom fingers. I burn. Callous, calloused consciences. Unrepentant Jews, unrepentant people will persecute Christ's messengers. The Jews will not believe the Old Testament. They will not believe Jesus or the further <clears throat> New Testament testimony because these scribes, these prophets, these wise men that Jesus will be sending them will be after his <clears throat> death and burial and resurrection. <clears throat> he'll, be, he'll be sending them as commissioned in the Holy Spirit from the right hand of God the Father. He is the uh, mediator of the, of the covenant of grace. He is the administrator of the kingdom. He is the king of the kingdom and he knows how best to rule and so he will be commissioning these men and he will be sending them uh, by way of, uh, of the New Testament testimony uh, of the gospel. So now some of these messengers, apostles, prophets, evangelists, these Jews will put to death. Some will be handed over for the civil authorities to crucify and some they will scourge in the synagogues. And we see, of course, when you read the book, the book of Acts, when we see, uh, when we read Paul's epistles, that's exactly how, how they treated Paul and, and his friends, Silas. And, okay. They will pursue. That's what persecute means, literally to pursue from city to city. Uh, Saul himself, Saul of Tarsus, was dogging the Christian sect as something detestable. He had letters from the authorities in Jerusalem uh, to... Uh, to bind all professors in Christ, and he was dogging them, he was persecuting them from city to city. And so this prophecy uh, certainly was, re- was, was realized. These unrepentant Jews then will continue the persecution. Why would Jesus continue to do this, to send messengers then? Well, my friends, if you think about it, Jesus has always done this. It was the Spirit of Jesus that was sent into the Old Testament prophets 
to declare the Word of God of old. Jesus is the Spirit. The Spirit of Jesus is the Spirit of prophecy. You find that in the book of Revelation. Jesus has always done this in the Old Testament. Uh, and very, very notably, which of the, which of the prophets, you can act, answer it in that question, which of the prophets did your fathers not kill? Huh? So that would be a very short answer if, if, if there was any. And, and the more splendid the prophet, the more likely he would be in trouble. The, the clearer the gospel and the law were proclaimed, the more they hated that man and couldn't abide by them. Jesus has always sent Israel commissioned prophets in the Old Testament. Because the spirit of prophecy is the spirit of, of the Christ. Jesus has been doing this even in his own ministry. He's commissioned first the 12, and then he commissioned the 72, and he's about to commission his apostles uh, after his resurrection. He, he meets them in the, the mountain up in the north country. He says, go therefore into all the world, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit teaching them whatsoever things I've commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. You see? Jesus now sends out others. Sends them more and more. And they were preaching the very same, they were preaching the very same gospel. Repent. The kingdom of God is at hand in the days of Jesus. And then afterwards, his death, burial, and resurrection. That was the gospel. But now Jesus is doing this. And I should say, beyond my own notes here, Jesus has always done it for the very same purposes. In this passage, he's doing it expressly for, for judgment. But you know what? Judgment has always come as the twin sister of mercy. They come, they're always tied together. Law, gospel, judgment, salvation. You find a church where people are being saved. You'll find people that are being hardened and are falling into graver sin, graver expressions. In other words, don't expect anyone. You should not expect the faithful preaching of the Word to yield only fruitful Christians. Get that idea out of your head. Who gave you that idea? It's, it's not biblical. The whole narrative of the Scripture is that with the truth comes a, divide, a division. And you will see some progress mightily and you will see others hardened and angry and envious and fruitless of any love to neighbor or God. Jesus does this in this passage, he says, for the express purpose of judgment. My friends, if this sounds counterintuitive, it's because the things of the Spirit are foolishness to us. They're foolish to the men in the flesh. And there's nothing more foolish, there's nothing more foolish in the world than faithful preaching. Why would anybody, for crying out loud, want to upset people that might just leave the church angry because they just don't like Jesus' agenda? Well, of course, you've got to be sure that you're on that platform, the same platform as Jesus. And that's why I, I plead that you count, uh, keep us all accountable from the elders to myself, anyone who's handling the Word of God, have the Word of God before you. Make sure that what's being done is, is the Word of God is being preached. But having been preached, 
The things of the Spirit are foolish to the men in the flesh. And there are many, many who are self-proclaimed Christians who are not converted. They are not walking in the Spirit. They are fleshly. They have never been converted. And these are particularly dangerous hypocrites in the church. And they will react principally to the preaching and to preachers. The war is on. It's an interminable war. It's an irreconcilable war. It's a war of flesh and spirit. And until the age is consummated and we are, the Christians, the elect of God are, are glorified, we will have that battle within ourselves. We will have that battle within the church. And the church will have that battle in the world. It's the battle of the seeds. I've preached that from the book of Genesis. The unrepentant Jews then will continue to persecute Christ's messengers. The final point of the sermon is this, that Christ's purpose is for his generation, his generation to fill up the blood guilt of that stubborn race or that stubborn people. Nothing ethnic here. When we say Jew, we are not talking about chromosomes and DNA. We're talking about a people that that, uh, were sanctified to the Lord. And again, those Jews were composed of many, many nations. Even even some Egyptians joined the Jews during the Exodus. And before then, there were Assyrians that joined uh, joined the ranks of Abraham's company. And before then, etc., Abraham was called out of Ur, the Chaldees. has nothing to do with ethnicity. We're talking here about a covenanted people. Christ's people is in for that generation of his day to fill up the blood guilt of that stubborn people. This is not an accidental development. This is not mere circumstance. But this is a divine purpose that is being fulfilled. Uh, Again, there's mystery here. I'll allude to it now, but I'm going to uh, open up the the, the idea further in the coming chapters of Matthew 25 that, the, dis, that the, the, the destruction the destruction of the particular covenant people there and their failing and the, it's particularly the, the destruction of Jerusalem and its temple is as a type of the destruction of the whole world I'll just introduce that thought because all of that the temple all of that was as, as it were a microcosm of the whole world and it's going up in flames and I'll preach that very soon uh, I think it's next, next time I preach in this, uh, from, this, from this gospel. And this is not an accidental development, but it says the divine purpose is being fulfilled. And it's not merely the guilt of Jesus' present enemies that God is dealing with. But that generation, more than any, has perfected wickedness to such an extent that the cup is now almost to the brim. And the Lord will met out the measurement of his wrath. The blood guilt of all of God's righteous messengers that has been spilled by wicked men of this covenant people will be, will find retribution now. It's like as if, as if the Lord has been saving his receipts and he's kept them in a, in a bag somewhere. And now when he's going to tally up the total, he's going to say, let's bring out the receipts and let's see what has been owed and then accrue it that this generation now will pay for the whole of the debt. And uh, Jesus here is, is saying from, the, from Abel, who he calls righteous, he was murdered by Cain. And why? Why was, why was Abel murdered by Cain? Why, why, why did Cain persecute Abel? Why could Cain not get along with Abel? Because, because Abel worshipped God rightly. 
God measures your heart. God has his stipulations about how you may be approached in worship. Abel complies to God's gracious judgment. Cain did not. Abel was approved by God. Cain was disapproved and dismissed. And that's why Cain killed Abel. He's guilty of that blood. But so is the generation of Jesus here. To Zechariah, the son of Barachias, now this one was, was murdered without trial, just like Jesus will be. Well, Jesus' trial was a mock trial. It was a kangaroo court. Looked great on the outside. Boy, these people could really dress up. But they perverted all process. Murdered without trial, Zechariah defiling the temple between the temple and the altar. And so these people who thought they held all of this temple and all this external apparatus, you know, of the ceremonial, and yet they would defile all of that by shedding blood. They would blaspheme God. And they would do this in the name of God. They would do this in the name of religion. My friends, again, to whom much is given, much will be expected. The Jews had the complete word of God. Take note. I just said this. The, The Jews had the complete word of God. How's that? Well, they had all the Old Testament, significantly and substantially all that was there in, in, in seed form. But, Je- but the Jews had the complete Word of God because Jesus is the complete Word of God. And they had Jesus. There He was, the Word of God incarnate. Nothing better than God incarnate in Jesus. Nothing, that's the whole Word. Jesus is the Word. A veil of Him, a veil of His teaching, a veil of His wisdom. Avail of his correction, avail of his reforms, avail of his example, avail of his prayers. But they faulted, and the fault was complete. The fault could not have been worse. Too much is given, much will be expected. What do you have? What, what is that you have there in your hand? What is that you have on your shelf? We have such amazing gifts. I, I, I think I've said before, in Matthew Henry's day, a complete set of his commentaries would have cost a layperson his entire wages, a year's wages, to buy a set of Matthew Henry commentary. Today we can get, I think, the six-volume set of Matthew Henry's on sale, probably $49, shipping included. What riches have we been given? What strength, even in our hymnody and even in this, the, the Psalters, we have it all organized. We can review the works of God in song. We can express the words of God in prayer because we have so many amazing, amazing aids to help us in prayer, to help us pray like, a, like Mary, the sweet mother of our Lord. I'd love to be able to pray as Mary. To whom much is given, much will be expected. And yet, nothing else will be done or said for this people. Eventually, they will be wrapped up in judgment. And judgment then, as we'll find out in the the coming uh, chapters, 25, 24 and 25, uh, judgment is a warning 
not to the, not to the Jews, because they're, they're done, but to the Gentile world, to whom the Spirit turns the warning to the whole world about rejecting the gospel among the nations. And that's why in the destruction of Jerusalem we have, as it were, a laboratory or an experiment or a proof, as it were, that God is both merciful to save, but he's most just to condemn those who will not abide with his word. Let me conclude this preaching. Christ will fill up the measure of God's wrath against his persecutors. God will do this in a strange way. He will do it by sending even more godly messengers. And these messengers, Jesus' enemies, will further mistreat. And God will do this in order to increase their guilt and prepare them for his wrath and for his fury. My friends, let me remind you that it's not the hearers of the word. It's not those who are attending here faithfully. I commend you for that. If you're not doing that faithfully, you need to do that. You need to repent. You need to be seeking the means of grace diligently. It's not the hearers of the word, though, however, that, but the doers of the word that are blessed, says James. And today, so, if you, today, if you hear his voice, don't, don't harden your hearts. Don't, that, that's, that's, the, that's the experience of the church in the wilderness where they saw the mighty works of God and his mighty redemption coming out of Egypt. The, 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 the firstborn was delivered of Israel. The firstborn of the Egyptians lay dead in their own blood. God, Jehovah, fighting from uh, being a shield to them in that, in that pillar of cloud and pillar of fire. Enemies destroyed and drowned by the Red Sea by the power of God, not Moses. It wasn't Moses that was doing that, it was God. God speaking to them from the cloud and from a mountain quaking in reverence for the Creator who had made it. Today, if you hear your voice, do not harden your heart. And that is a message given to Christians in Hebrews chapter 3, verse 14 and 19. Prone to leave the church because of the, the dogged persecution of the, of the Jews that were still at their heels. That was the danger to those Hebrews remaining in Palestine. The dogged persecution of those that God would eventually destroy, but it would take a while. It would take a while for that to uh, another, another 40 years. Are you a vessel of wrath prepared for, for more wrath? How do you know that you're a vessel chosen by God unto honor? Well, are you producing the works of a vessel? Love, joy, peace, patience, brotherly kindness. Are, are, you, are you giving your life for the Lord and building up others and, and encouraging them, or are you here to dash heads, butt shoulders, and make yourself a grievance to those who love the Lord, but especially those who are working the hardest? Are you here to disturb the workers who have the trowel in their hand and force them to take up the sword because you're being a pest in the church? And you thought all the enemies were outside the wall. The greatest enemies of the church have always been within the walls. Are you a vessel of wrath being prepared for more wrath? Romans 2, verses 5 through 8. My friends, God's ways, to be sure, are inscrutable. God sometimes uses the best gifts as a means of condemnation. Oh, I go to this church because that, that preacher, he, oh, he's so faithful, he's so good, he's so eloquent, he's amazing. He knows the Bible backwards and forwards. Backwards in Hebrews and forwards in Greek. That's no sign of God's favor to you. 
It's no sign of your salvation just because you've chosen the right church. It could be a sign of his condemnation. Fear God. Repent, believe, and obey him. Now, if you really see the way the Lord works, and we might be able to answer this question, do you really think you need a minister? I, I'm convinced most people today don't think they need a minister. They've got YouTube. They've got blog spaces. They've got books. We've got books. And we have bookshelves for our books. So we've got everything we need. The primary means that the Lord uses to save his people or prepare them for wrath is through the preached word. It's the prime means of grace. Just be aware of that. But ask yourself, do you really think that you need a minister? Can you do without one? You save a lot of money if I weren't here. Think about it, all right? Think about that. But also, I want you to think about the gospel. We're driven to the gospel if we understand the law right. We're driven to the gospel when we understand that there's no one righteous, no, not one. And that includes everybody that has deemed himself or herself to be a Christian. To love God with all heart, soul, strength, and mind, and to love neighbors ourself as an inscrutably high, perfect, pure, and holy calling. And we have all failed that. We've all failed the glory of God. And we need to be confessing. We need to be humble. And we need to treat other Christians who know they're sinners with some mercy with some clemency, with some word of encouragement, lest, as Paul says to the Corinthians, unless, lest they be driven to despair, for we know Satan's ways. We've got to be a church that will stop battling one another. Lest we bite and consume one another, says Paul. If we know the gospel, we'll certainly look to guilt in ourselves first and to others last. But if we're the gospel, we will be driven to Christ, to his loveliness, to his cure of sin, his promise for, to remit our sins, his promise that he would die in our place, that he would pay for our debt of sin to God, the debt of, uh, incurred by legal ordinances. All of that Christ will take care of us, and he will give us of his own righteousness. He will incorporate us, uh, incorporate us into his own spiritual body. And as such, we will share in his life and share of all of his goodness, primarily his righteousness. And the life that he has in the spirit is ours. How is that? What, 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 what must I do to receive all that? Even, even a, an eternally good standing and the favor of God the Father forever. Even heaven, the kingdom. How can I do By raising your spiritual hand and receiving Christ, the Son of God, as your Savior and your Redeemer. And, my friends, all of the blessing of God and none of his woe and none of his cursing will abide in you. Only receive him by faith, turn and continue to turn, repent from all wickedness, turning to God and obeying him in all of his word, in all of his word. And that's the gospel and good news. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that you address us very frankly as who you are. You're just. 
and the justifier of those who believe in Christ. We thank you that your scriptures reveal you as you are and, and, and not as an, as an idol of our own imaginings and fantasies. We pray, Lord, that you would deal with us squarely upon your covenant terms. And having come to you, Lord, with a broken heart and the desire to, uh, to eschew all manner of wickedness and turn to you, that you would look upon us with favor in Christ and receive us eternally into your eternal dwellings. Lord, confirm your own word, and may your peace abide with all those who love you in sincerity. May God be worshipped according to his truth here and in the day of his power. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's have an offering, please.